You're listening to the podcast of Christ Walk Church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We hope that these messages encourage and challenge you to live for something more. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening. Now here's today's message. Well, good morning, Christ Walk Church. How's everybody doing today? Man, I'm just excited about all the things that are taking place here all the things that God is doing. Um, it is a, an incredible honor to pastor a church like this, a church that believes in um, kids and families and God's call on their life um, and they're, they're part of the kingdom. Uh, we got a new app that we're, that we're you know, releasing that you guys can um, connect with the church. There's uh, um, uh, four people from our youth group are getting baptized on Wednesday. That, I, could, I could spend just all day talking to you about the bits and pieces of life change that um, we're seeing take place um, here in this house. And I am thankful to each and every one of you for being a part of it and looking forward to all that God is going to continue to do. Um, If you've got your Bible or you got a smart device, I want to encourage you to turn with me or swipe with me to the New Testament. In case you're unaware, the Bible's divided up into two larger chunks of Scripture. You have the Old Testament at the beginning of the Bible. The New Testament is the, the second section of the Scriptures. And today we're going to be in the letter of Hebrews Um, chapter 12, and we're going to land there in just a minute. So Hebrews chapter 12, turn with me, swipe with me, and then we'll get there momentarily. Um, any, any Olympics fans in the house? Is anybody, we just had the Olympics, you know, not too long ago. Anybody like to watch the Olympics? Maybe you've heard me talk about this before. I really enjoy, um, every four years, we're really every two years because it's summer and, and winter, but getting to watch the Olympics and, and even things like the World Cup and, and stuff like that that happens periodically. I, I love the camaraderie of, of the event. I, I just love seeing all of the different nations represented and all of their colors and coming out with a sense of patriotism to represent their country and to give it all to compete in these events. And one of the things that I love most about the Olympics in particular is that I get to see um, some different events, some different athletic things going on that I, I don't normally get to see otherwise. And, and if I'm being really honest with some of you today, I'm not quite sure how some of those things became Olympic events. Like when looking out over the landscape of athletic competition, there are at least a handful that stick out like a sore thumb. Like really like this on a worldwide scale, this is what we've chosen to compete in. And at the top of this list by far, at least for me, is the sport, and I use that term very loosely, of curling. Now, Curling is my favorite Olympic event, and it's not even close. It's just intriguing to me on a number of different levels. The the first of which is, in, in most Olympic events, the athletes are in the prime of their career and are in peak physical condition. Not so for curling. Uh, in fact, some of the athletes that participate in curling seem to be on the very opposite end of that spectrum. Uh, One of the members of the United States curling team from this past Winter Olympics has a mullet and a beer gut, for example. (laughs) 
And the reason that that intrigues me so much is because I think uh, maybe one day I could be an Olympian. Like I see that and there's still hope for me. Like I haven't passed my prime yet. I'm also intrigued by any kind of game or competition that seems like it was started based off of a joke or a dare. And, and curling definitely fits that bill. Like, I can imagine, like, some guy in college, you know, he's hanging out in the dorm with his, with his buddies one night, and he says, you know, I just came up with a great idea for a game. In fact, it's so good, I think it could be in the Olympics one day. And his buddies are like, yeah, right. And he's like, no, 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 I promise. Like, this is going to be awesome. We need to play it. But first, I'm going to need you to help me get together some supplies. And they're like, okay, what do you need? And he's like, well, we're going to need some blue and red spray paint, a couple of push brooms, and some big rocks with handles glued to them. So y'all gather that up in about 15 minutes. Meet me out on the frozen pond. And don't forget to wear your bowling shoes. (laughs) What? And we turn that somehow into an Olympic event. You know, it's interesting that the Bible actually references the Olympics a handful of different times in the scriptures. And and one such place is in Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, In verse 1, And we're going to read this together, and this is going to serve as the foundation for a brand new series that we're starting today. Hebrews 12, 1, and it reads this way. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Now, the author of Hebrews would have been familiar with the Olympic Games and the athletes that would have competed in them. Training for these athletes would have uh, been utilized to eliminate any of the excess weight in the body of the athlete so that they could get as trim and svelte and muscular, kind of like your pastor, as possible. (laughs) Why was that funny? (laughs) Participants in the original Olympics would, would strip naked for competition to eliminate any possible hindrance. Can you imagine? if that still carried over to today. Um, Athletes would would train uh, with added weights to increase strength, speed, and endurance, but they wouldn't carry that weight out onto the field of competition as it would hold them back. And we see this even today. For example, you might, during a baseball game, see the player that is in the on-deck circle have a weight that he slides over the barrel of his bat to take practice swings. But when he steps into the batter's box, he no longer weighs down his bat. He, he slides that off, and, and that gives him the ability to swing the bat at an even greater speed and rate of force. And, and in this passage, our lives are being compared to an Olympic event. In this case, it's a race. And, and the goal here is to remove anything that hinders the progress of our ability to perform. And in this case, it talks about the sin that so easily trips us up. But as you and I know, this is way easier said than it is done. 
And today we're kicking off a brand new series called Baggage Claim, where over the next several weeks, we're going to take a look at some of the things that you and I tend to carry that weigh us down and end up distorting our true identity in Christ and ultimately hold us back from living the life that he's called us to live and becoming the people that he's called us to be. And I don't know what it's like at your house, but at my house, anytime we pack for a trip, there's just never enough room for anything. Like whether we're going on a two-day venture or we're going to be gone for two weeks, the zippers of our suitcase are busting at the seams, and we have to play a game of Tetris to get everything loaded into the car. And a lot of times, I feel like the guy who made this observation right here, he says, me regularly uses the same three things at home. Me packing for vacation, I wonder if I'll need four French horns or five. (laughs) And so the idea behind this series is simply this. We need to pack for the destination to which we are headed. We need to pack for the destination to which we are headed. And in order for us to arrive at that destination in the most efficient and effective way possible, there's some things that you and I may need to lay down along the way. There's there's some stuff that we're holding on to now that doesn't need to make the trip with us. And in fact, if we continue to hold on to that stuff, not only will it delay our arrival to our destination, but it could get us off course entirely. And so for the next few minutes today, I want to talk to you and begin our series with the baggage of regret. The baggage of regret. Now, regret, a very simple definition, is to feel sorrow for. And, and we all want to live our lives with no regrets. That's something to be uh, desired, something that many of us might aspire to. Maybe that's even a motto that you've adopted for your life. But despite our best efforts, sometimes it turns out like this right here. (laughs) Despite our best attempt... Things don't always go the way that we want them to. And, and whether we choose to recognize it consciously or not, we all have regrets. There's all, all of us have things from our past that, that we wish would have turned out differently or situations from yesteryear that we wish we would have handled just a little bit better. And they are those areas of our lives that, that when we think about them, we, we turn into share. You know, if I could turn back time. You know, like, thank you, I'll be here all week. Maybe it was something we said to our spouse, or maybe it was the way that we treated our kids, or maybe it was that we didn't go to college, or we made a bad business decision, or it was a relationship we wish we wouldn't have engaged in, or taking on a boatload of debt. The list could go on and on and on this morning. And, and maybe the regrets that you have have you feeling like the psalmist who in Psalm 38, 4 said this. He said, my guilt overwhelms me. It is a burden too heavy to bear. Perhaps when you think of your regret, that's, that verse describes how you feel today. And if that's you, the good news is that the Bible is chock full of people just like you and me who did a lot of things that they would later regret. And so by looking at the stories that can be mined out of those scriptures, 
you and I can discover the right way to go about handling the things in our lives that we regret. And for that purpose today, I want to zoom in on the lives of two particular individuals that were actually a couple of the people that were closest of all to Jesus in all of the Bible. In fact, each of these two men were two of the original 12 disciples. And both of them committed egregious mistakes in regard to their relationship with the Lord, yet they couldn't have handled themselves differently in the aftermath. I'm talking, of course, of none other than Judas and Peter. Judas and Peter. So first this morning, let's, let's take a look at Judas, whose regret was centered on his betrayal of Jesus. Matthew 26, um, we pick up in verse 14. It reads this way. It says, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priests and asked, How much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. And from that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. It's important for us to know right here that that Judas, he set out to do this. Like he had his mind made up. He was very purposeful and intentional about it. He didn't just walk along one day and slip into betraying Jesus. No, he, he, he went out. He left the place. Jesus, uh, as he was gathered there at the Last Supper with, with the disciples, and he was getting ready to go to the cross, he looked at the 12 that were there. They'd spend the last three years of their lives with him, and he said, one of you is going to betray me. And Judas left the room, and he went out, with intention and purpose in his heart to be the one that would do it. He was intentional about it. Later on, we read in the next chapter of Matthew 27, read very early in the morning, the leading priests and the elders of the people met again to lay plans for putting Jesus to death. And then they bound him, they led him away and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. We continue. When Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and the elders. He said, I have sinned, he declared, for I betrayed an innocent man. What do we care? They retorted. That's your problem. Then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple and went out and hanged himself. See, Judas had an opportunity to go to Jesus and beg forgiveness. However, he he decided to approach the religious leaders instead of approaching Jesus. In, In Judas' regret, he showed remorse, but he didn't show repentance. See, had he, had he turned to Jesus, everything would have been forgiven, but He didn't. Instead, he just tried to undo the things that he had already done, but it was to no avail because the damage had already taken place and he was in the situation that he was in and the only way out of it was to go to Jesus. But he chose not to do that. Instead, he chose to hang himself, end his life because he felt like His mistake was too big to overcome. So now let's take a look at Peter, shift gears a little bit. We'll look at Peter, whose regret is similar to Judas, but not betrayal. Instead, it's centered around his denial of Jesus. And we read his story beginning in in Luke chapter 22, 
starting with verse 54. It says, so they arrested him and led him to the high priest's home. This is talking about the arrest of Jesus. And Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers. Continuing in verse 57. But Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Peter retorted. About an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he is a Galilean too, continuing on in verse 60. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. Jesus had told Peter, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny me. And Peter was indignant. He said, no, I won't. Not only will I not deny you, I, I, will, I will die for you. In fact, I love you more than these other 11 dudes that have spent all this time with you. He was, he was boastful in who he was and his love for Jesus. But yet, when Jesus was arrested, it says that Peter followed at a distance. There's a warning for us here that following Jesus from a distance is dangerous. And many of us, we make the same kind of mistake in our own lives. Like We want to be just close enough to Jesus to be included. But far enough away to absolve our connection should things begin to get uncomfortable or should people give us the side eye about our belief on him it's it's this this one foot in one foot out mentality that we we want to do just enough to kind of skate by just enough to make it into heaven before that pearly gate slams right behind us but we need to be closer to jesus than just close enough what he's inviting us to today and every day is, is not one foot in, one foot out. It's to go all in. It's, it's not just to tiptoe at the line. It's to, it's to, with reckless abandon, throw caution to the wind and jump across the line. That's what Jesus is inviting us in today. But, but Peter, he was unwilling, despite his boastfulness, despite the fact that, that he was with Jesus and he was there in the upper room and he'd seen all the miracles and, and he'd done all of the things and jumped through all the hoops, despite the fact that he was the one that was called and, and that where his name was originally Simon, Jesus said, I'm going to change your name to Peter, which means rock, because you're going to be the rock on which I build my church. Despite all of that, G Peter followed Jesus at a distance. And this ultimately led to Peter's downfall. And if we choose to continue to live our lives the same way, it will eventually lead to our downfall as well. And in this situation where, where Judas showed remorse, the difference is that Peter, weeping bitterly, showed repentance. And because of this, because even though he had been, de even though he had been denied by him, because of, of, of Peter's actions here, because of this change of heart that he had had, 
Jesus didn't write Peter off. In fact, a few days later, when Jesus had risen from the dead and the believers went to the tomb to see where his body was, they met an angel. And Mark 16, verse 7, tells us that the angel said, Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he Died. Despite the fact that Peter had denied Jesus, Jesus knew his heart. He knew that Peter still loved him. He knew that he was not just remorseful, but that he was repentant because of his actions. So he didn't write him off. Instead, he continued to include him. And then when the disciples met up with Jesus in Galilee, they're, they're spending some time together with the Lord. And as a part of that breakfast on the beach that day, Jesus pulls Peter to the side. And John 21 records the conversation that they have. Verse 15 says, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you, Jesus said. Then feed my sheep. One question, do you love me? Repeated three times to cover the three times that Peter had denied Jesus. Peter had said that he would never turn his back on Jesus, that, that he loved Jesus more than all the other disciples. Yet despite his best intentions, he still failed the Lord. But where Judas showed remorse... Peter showed repentance. And it was because of his repentance that Peter was restored by Jesus. Peter was first called to be a fisher of men, to be an evangelist. And now in this moment, he's being called to shepherd the flock, to be a pastor. That's the ultimate redemption that Jesus is bringing about. Not only did I call you once before, and then you fell, but I'm calling you again, and I'm calling you to an even greater work, an even more significant work. And you'll notice that in this passage, he, Jesus refers to Peter as Simon, his original name. And by doing this, Jesus is reminding Peter of who he was before he met Jesus, that his purpose and calling is found in Jesus alone, that, that Jesus is the one who chose him. And despite Peter's mistakes, Jesus is still choosing him. See, it was two men that betrayed Jesus on the night that he was crucified. Judas was filled full of worldly sorrow in the form of remorse, and his life was terminated. But Peter was filled with godly sorrow in the form of repentance, and his life was transformed. We have the same choices today that those men had. 
When we face regret, we can let it consume our lives or we can lay it at the foot of the cross, turn away from it and allow Jesus to restore us. And so if you're taking notes this morning, very quickly, I wanna talk to you about two truths that we, can, uh, that we can mine out of these passages. Two truths about how we handle the baggage of regret. Two truths about the baggage of regret. And the first one is simply this. Our biggest sins are small when compared with God's grace. Our biggest sins are small when compared with God's grace. For every regret that you and I have, Jesus Christ offers redemption to us. It's not about what we did once upon a time. It's about what Christ has already done. 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins to him, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Jeremiah 31, 34 says that that when God forgives us, that he's going to forgive our wickedness and will never again remember our sins. Proverbs 24, 16 tells us that the godly may trip and fall seven times, but they will get up again. There is hope for us, even those of us who have regrets from our past. See, regret is, is the recognition that we've fallen short. But when we turn that regret into repentance, it gives us the opportunity to turn away from it and, and to move forward. It, it's, it's taking an about face. It's, it's regret is moving us in one direction where our attention is focused on the things from our past that we did. But repentance says, I'm going to put that behind me. I'm going to turn in the other direction and I'm going to move towards Jesus because he's forgiven me of my past, and and he's forgotten all about it. See, regret leads to regression. It's looking and moving backwards, but repentance leads to restoration. It moves us beyond where we were into the the living the life of, of who God has called us to be. Think about it. There's plenty of people that you know named Peter. Probably nobody you know named Judas. And the difference is because of how they chose to handle the mistakes that they made. One chose remorse and dwelled in the past. The other chose repentance and as a result was restored. Our biggest sins are small when compared to God's grace. Number two, we can't change our past, but Christ can change our future. We can't change our past, but, but Christ can change our future. Romans 8, 28 says this. It says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. All things, everything. God causes everything, even our past mistakes, even the times that we've slipped up, even the times that we've walked away thinking, man, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I hadn't said that. I wish that I could go back and do that over again. All things, even our past mistakes, God can cause them to work together for good. I love this quote by Vance Havner, who says, God uses broken things. It takes broken soil to produce a crop. 
broken clouds to give rain, broken grain to give bread, broken bread to give strength. Somebody needs to hear this this morning. Broken crayons still color. Broken crayons still color. Despite your brokenness, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. He still wants to use you. And and it is often through that brokenness, through the broken places of your life, that God is going to call you and allow you to minister to other people. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying this morning. This, This doesn't excuse our behavior and give us the right to live however we want to live. This doesn't wipe away the consequences of the things from our past that tend to rear their head, their ugly head from time to time. But it does show that you and I are not defined by those things. And that because of God's grace that has afforded us through Jesus Christ, that we can rise above them and move beyond them. See, a mistake is an event. It's a moment in time, but it's not a person. A mistake is just an event or a moment in time. It's not a person. Just because you made a mistake doesn't mean you are a mistake. That is a lie from the devil. Just because you made a mistake doesn't mean that you are a mistake. Because the truth is, Every saint has a past, and every sinner has a future. And when the devil comes in, and and he wears that moniker of the accuser, as he's called in the scriptures, and and he wants to point the finger at us, and, and he wants to remind us of where we used to be, we need to point the finger back at him and remind him of where we're headed. It's because of Jesus that Satan has been defeated. It's because of Jesus that the power of sin no longer has a grip on us. It is because of Jesus that death, hell, and the grave have been overcome. It is because of Jesus that overwhelming victory is ours for the taking. It is because of Jesus that the best is still yet to come. So the question remains, what do we do with our regret? What do we do with our regret? Paul writes about it in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. He says, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. What do we do with our regret? forget about it and your best Italian mobster forget about it that's how we handle our regret we're not going to focus on who we used to be instead we're going to look forward to who we're becoming because of the power of Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit that is at work within us that's how we handle our regret that word forgetting right there in the Greek is epilanthonomai Epilanthenomai. It it means to to neglect or to not give another thought to. What's done is done. We're going to forget about it. So the way that we handle our regret is, first, we acknowledge it. We acknowledge what we did 
that was wrong, that was sinful, that wasn't pleasing to God, we, we acknowledge it. We learn from it so that we don't go back there again. We repent of it so that we're not focused on that. Instead, we're turned in the other direction and, and we're focused on where we're headed and who God is making us. And we forget about it because Jesus has forgot, forgotten about it. And then we move on from it. We move on from it. Forgetting what was in the past, I press on to receive the prize. See, the truth is, is that you're never going to become who God has called you to be if you continue holding on to your past mistakes. Freedom is available in this house this morning, but, but you've got to decide to let go of the burden that you've been carrying. Maybe it's been a week or a month or a year or a decade, maybe your entire life. You've been carrying some form of regret. Freedom is available to you in this house today. Yeah. I want you to understand something. You can't undo your past. What's done is done. You can't undo the past. But you don't have to drag it into the future with you. You don't have to drag it into the future with you. There's freedom available. And the first step towards that freedom is to repent of your sins and to enter into a right relationship with your heavenly father through his son, Jesus Christ, believing on him as Lord and savior. If you've never done that, you're in this room this morning, maybe you're watching with us online today. You've never entered into a right relationship with the father. I want to invite you to do, the, do that this morning by praying just a simple prayer. It's as easy as ABC. Admit that you're a sinner, believe on Jesus, and confess that he is Lord. If you'd like to do that this morning, I want to invite you to, to pray this prayer with me. It's going to be on the screen. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Jesus died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. Today, I choose to follow Jesus and his way for the rest of my life. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Christ Walk Church podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. To find out more information about Christ Walk Church, including our service times, how to connect with us on social media, and the ministry opportunities we have for you and your family, simply visit our website at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come.